WCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston. And on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. What are the strange booms and hums now being heard over wide areas? Why are UFO sightings increasing in many year, many areas? Who is mutilating cattle and why? Hello there and welcome to the 300th, the very special 300th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those thought-provoking, or just provoking, questions <laughs> come from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So in honor of our 300th show, we are very pleased to welcome back our good friend, award-winning scientist, uh, award-winning science journalist, sorry, uh, Linda Moulton Howe. Linda is the best person we know to give us an update on the latest news from the world of high strangeness, a term she coined. Well, Linda is a three-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, filmmaker, author, and broadcaster who holds a master's degree in communication from Stanford University. She has devoted her documentary film, television, and radio career to productions about science, medicine, and the environment, the recipient of many local... Excuse me, national and international awards. Her films have included Poison in the Wind and A Sun-Kissed Poison, which compared smog pollution in Los Angeles and Denver, Fire in the Water about hydrogen as an alternative energy source to fossil fuels, and A Strange Harvest, which explored the worldwide animal mutilation mystery, which has haunted the United States and other countries from the mid-20th century to date. Investigative reporter for Premier Radio Network, Linda Lindas is a familiar voice in Coast to Coast AM. Among other books, she is the author of Mysterious Lights and Crop Circles. Linda was an outstanding contributor to our 16-hour series on the Woodbridge-Bentwaters UFO incidents of 1980, which aired on CBS and Achieve Radio last year. Her amazing website is earthfiles.com. Be sure to check it out. Linda, it's great to have you back. Well, thank you, and congratulations, you guys, for 300. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Oh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, somebody asked me the other day how many radio shows, and I thought uh, the number now is beyond my grasp because I started uh, professionally with Art Bell first on Area 2000. I think it was in 89 to 90. Wow. Then Art uh, started Dreamland, and I was doing uh, work with him every week. We had done uh, Area 2000 every week, then Dreamland every week. Then he started Coast to Coast AM, and uh, he that's when we did five hours of radio, and often he would call me up and say something like, Hey, can you do five hours with me tomorrow night on global <laughs> warming? And uh, I would... <laughs> struggle to get this bullseye of all of the possible newspapers, magazines, everything that I had in these rings around me, and Art and I would go into a jazz riff for five hours uh, about what was happening on whatever the subject was, and when you begin to add up uh, from 90 to 2000 to uh, we're now coming into 2012, it's 22 years of weekly radio. Uh, then, and then you add on to that all of the TV, and it's a lot of media, but like what you said, it feels to me as if every day, every week, 
is brand new in terms of my curiosity about what is happening on this planet in relationship to this remarkable universe that we are in. And when you go back to uh, essentially September of 1979, which would be 31 years ago, uh, I was director of special projects at the CBS station in Denver, Colorado, and there were a lot of headlines, not just in Colorado, but in the surrounding western states, up in British uh, Columbia and Alberta and that part of Canada, uh, in the summer of 1979 when I was working on a completely different TV project. But I became very interested in those headlines because the ranchers and sheriffs kept saying that the excisions were bloodless and there were no tracks around the animal, not even the animal's own tracks. And when I finally decided as director of special projects that this was something I had to get to the bottom of, my beat has always been science, environment, and medicine, that I would go to as many sheriffs and ranchers as I could to begin before we ever uh, had a TV camera on the scene and try to find out what the consensus was of law enforcement and as you and Earth Files and Coast and Dreamland and all of the other listeners over the many years know, what I heard from sheriffs first, off the record only, was Linda, the perpetrators of the worldwide bloodless, trackless animal mutilations are creatures from outer space. And that was the phrase that I heard for the first time back in the fall of 79, and it was, for me, like going through Alice in Wonderland's mirror. And I have been through many Alice in Wonderland <laughs> mirrors in the last 31 years. Actually, they trying... live on the other side of the mirror by this time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, trying to find out what does the government of the United States at least know about creatures from outer space mutilating animals, to what end, and why do they as they do in every other facet of the concept that something from somewhere beyond the Earth is interacting with this planet, not only now, but has been interacting with this planet for thousands and thousands of years, why would a modern-day government choose a policy of denial, allegedly in the interest of national security, to keep absolutely every fact and every piece of evidence out of the public and the media, and now we are at 60 years, some years and counting since the Truman administration, and that doesn't, having a policy of denial does not change what happens on the planet. The animal mutilations have been going on for at least 100 years in both hemispheres. Really? The, yes. Oh, yes. The first uh, of case, this quality? I, I hate to use oh, yeah. quality, but of yeah, this uh, the, precision? The, uh, when I started the research on A Strange Harvest, uh, the film that became A Strange Harvest, that was uh, one of the uh, Emmy Award-winning uh, programs, and I say that only to uh, stress that it was a very credible and credibly uh, reviewed TV program, even though the subject uh, is appalling to some people. But uh, in 79, when I began the research, one of the people that I talked to was a producer working for the BBC in London. And the reason was that I had been told that they had a story going to Australia back in 1911, that's 100 years ago, 
when 104, that's the largest number I've ever heard, 104 sheep were found in an Australian billabong, all with the same excisions, the ear missing, the eye missing, the tongue, the jaw flesh, the genitals, and the rectum cord out, no blood on any of that white uh, hair, no tracks, no tracks of uh, any kind of a predator, no tracks of the sheep even having struggled to get away. They're just 104, all excised, bloodlessly, exactly the same way from sheep to sheep. That was the first alleged historic case that had made a journal that the BBC had that matches what we know over the last 100 years, especially starting as far as the public knows, in the 1960s, where the, this exact same M.O. has been reported around the world. And when you go into it deeply and you find all of the forensic evidence of cooked hemoglobin, cooked collagen at the bloodless excisions, and yet under a microscope there's no carbon residue, and that is not possible with a normal industrial laser or surgical laser. We are a car carbon-based life-form planet. That means that if you apply lasers, doesn't matter whether it is to horses, to cattle, to humans, you will, under a microscope, be able to see the residue of carbon when it has been heated. It looks like black pepper grains under the microscope. And in case after case, when I would go out, I think I have excised tissue out in the field from about 30 of these animals and gathered uh, grass and soil so that a biophysicist could examine the grass and soil and that a hematologist, pathologist could look at all of this tissue, trying to figure out what is the instrument, what is happening to the animal, uh, doing up, uh, all kinds of necropsies with veterinarians and finding out that there can be missing organs in the, let's say, uh, the uh, media sternum, which is the chest area of an animal. For example, if there's no excision in the chest, how in the world is a 9-inch by 11-inch by 7-inch bovine heart removed from a chest? That, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the facts of the animal mutilation mystery. Whole bovine hearts have been found completely gone from inside the chest of some of the mutilated animals, and the only thing left have been a pericardium without a single tear or cut, leaving some uh, veterinarian pathologist. I know this uh, in discussion with a sheriff. He said one veterinarian that went out to, with him into the pasture, and they did the necropsy right there at the site. When the veterinarian started getting into the mediastinum area of the uh, animal, which is the chest area, and found that the heart was gone. And the only thing he could find was the pericardium, and there was no blood of any kind in that chest. The veterinarian uh, looked straight into the eye of the sheriff and said, don't call me out on another case. Now, that sort of denial by a professional, I've always been puzzled by, because denying or refusing to investigate does not mean that the phenomena disappears. What I think we all have to do is face the fact that there is an interaction with Earth 
and that interaction has been going on for thousands of years, and that the interaction involves other than Homo sapien, and that the more we study it, the better we are, because I think knowledge gives us strength, and I think policies of denial and ignorance weaken us. And today, in 2011, in my files over the last 31 years, there is not a single year when there are not multiple animal mutilations, whether they are large animals or down to the half-cat phenomena, which has also been going on since uh, the 80s. Mm, yeah, I uh, saw that in Earth files, yeah. Yeah, reported about in the New York Times when it was affecting Toronto. Toronto has been one of the uh, metropolitan areas with these half-cats, uh, just so people can understand, and I won't dwell on this because it's very difficult. Uh, if you can imagine a cat that has been perfectly cut right in the middle and the part that is found is either the front half or the back half. It can be either one, and there again, just like in the large animals, there's no blood, no tracks, no sign of struggle. And when I uh, was, I think it was 2006, and it was uh, Austin, Texas, and I did two interviews with a veterinarian uh, office there. I talked with the veterinarian who ran the office, and I talked with one of his assistants. And when they examined one of the animals, they found a hole that went right from where the jawbone comes together in the lower front of the jaw. And if you reach up and you can feel that V in your own jaw, and imagine that you would find a hole about the diameter of a uh, number two pencil that you would use in grade school, and that the hole kept penetrating right up through uh, the lower jaw flesh, the tongue, uh, up in an angle going through the sinus cavity and stopped right at the cat's brain. And the veterinarian told me he had never seen anything like it, that it was so baffling to him what instrument could do this because it was like an empty tunnel through every piece of flesh up to the brain. There was no blood. There was no tissue. It was a clean, perfect tunnel from the front lower jaw. When he got to the brain, what he was expecting, and anybody would, is that the hole would continue into the brain of the cat. Instead, the hole stopped right there. There was no abrasion. There was no blood. There was nothing. And the uh, I have the full uh, report. I've reported this at Earth Files. And that veterinarian was trying to cope with, uh, I can't remember now whether it was 37 or so. It was a large number of half cats in Austin, Texas. Well, just like Toronto, that was reported about by the New York Times in the uh, 1980s, uh, Tustin, California, Falls Church, Virginia, Plano, Texas, Austin, Texas, San Antonio. You can go around the country, and there are the same places that keep coming up, Bellevue, Seattle, Tacoma, Vancouver. There are areas, it's exactly the same places over and over again. And it's been going on for a very long time and it's bloodless as well, 
and reinforcing the possible link between the perpetrators of cattle and horse mutilations and the strange half-cat phenomena is this. When Dr. Uh, John Altshuler, who was a hematologist, pathologist with his own laboratory in Denver, worked with me for about seven or eight years on trying to uh, have me go into the field get and gather tissue into formalin, uh, get it back to his lab, that one of the cases when he was alive, he unfortunately was hit by a bicycle and died uh, a few years ago, but one of the most amazing cases, both to him and to me, involved, I remember the number there was about 37 half cats in the city of Vancouver on the Canadian side. And we called, Dr. Altshuler got a hold of the animal uh, cruelty person who was handling all those cases and said, this is what we've done, this is what we've been doing with large animals could we possibly get one of the half-cats for study at his Denver lab? And they did ship an entire front half of a cat. When he examined the entire excision, he was looking at exactly the same thing that he has looked at in horses, in cattle, in rabbits, in goats, and that was that hemoglobin was cooked, collagen was cooked, but under a microscope, there was no black pepper grain of carbon residue in which he had said to me, Linda, I don't know what the instrument is. And today, one of my guesses is that in the human abduction syndrome, which parallels to some extent here, you will have humans who are returned uh, to their homes, cars, wherever they uh, say that they were taken, and they described seeing something that looked to them about the size of a tooth, uh, automatic electric toothbrush um, instrument, but that it had a blue light. Some people have said it's the color of cyan. Others have said it's the color of an aquamarine. Others have said it's sky blue. I don't I'll know have to, why. I'll have to stop you there, Linda. We have a break okay. coming up. Okay. Yeah, when we uh, this is really interesting when we come back. Absolutely. Uh, we are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benino on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, with our distinguished guest, Linda Moulton Howe. We'll be right back to continue talking about these pretty nasty toothbrushes and cattle mutilations. Be right <laughs> so what are you thankful for? The I'm Thankful Network explores the positive. Join host Sue Lundquist Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time, empowering women, empowering lives. The I'm Thankful Network on New Sky Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, the Dr. Pat Show is alive with a distinctive blend of interviews with a mix of uplifting and intelligent news, educational, and practical information. Get in the know. Following Dr. Pat, join host Laura Lee for Laura Lee's Spirit Salon. Contact your dearly departed spirit guides and angels to find answers, closure, guidance, insight, revelations, and prophecy regarding matters of the heart by contacting the other side through acclaimed medium Laura Lee. You are not alone. Batter up. Life's a game. Win. Call and get advice from today's top coaches that are here to help you win the game of life. The Coach Me Network is live starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons. No Boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And we're back with Linda Moulton Howe, our guest on our 300th show today. Uh, and we're very glad to have her. And she's talking uh, so, some pretty chilling stuff about uh, cattle mutilations now getting a bit into abductions. And Linda, before you continue to describe these instruments, uh, you know, w- when you have a chance, if you could answer the question, w- what possible motives could these have? We-, we look at these things from our perspective, and we wonder, yeah. okay, well, well, what would we do? But we may be dealing possibly with an alien intelligence that is so far outside our experience that their motives might, might be um, incomprehensible to us. It might, uh, so if, if you could address that at some point. Go ahead, but, yeah, but please, I, in the meantime, continue with the... Yeah, I'll just finish up about this interest, interesting, we'll call it alien technology, and then I'll address what agenda there might be. And I was, uh, before the break, I was talking about this uh, cerulean blue or sky blue or aquamarine blue light that has been described by people in the human abduction syndrome as being applied to their own bodies in some kind of surgery. And we know that in humans, if in fact they have physically been transported in some way to some craft and they've been subjected to a sperm extraction, egg extraction, and implants and all of these with these kinds of light instruments, some of the abductees have also said that it isn't simply the photon energy, that it has to do with frequency, and frequency has to do with vibration, And we know today that the military uses acoustical scalpels in the field that automatically can uh, stop bleeding. So we are possibly uh, in the instrument that is being used in the animals is something like an acoustic and light scalpel with probably a tremendous range of abilities and we don't know about it but i was coming down to uh to the transition here that we have so much forensic evidence that we're dealing with high strangeness of a real order when it comes to the global animal mutilations and after 10 years of going working in the field and working with scientists as much as i could and uh finally in my first book, An Alien Harvest, that came out in uh, 1989 and is always available at my news website, earthfiles.com, I love that book because it was my first effort to put in an 8.5 by 11 format in really good quality paper all of the documents and the best photographs on the best paper so that people could see everything as I have been able to see them in photos from sheriff's files and the work that we have done medically and the work we've done with the biophysicists and on and on. And with that, in that book, An Alien Harvest, I tried to grapple with where I was then in 1989 and the issue If this has been going on, let's say, for a century or more, what possible reason could advanced, we'll call them non-human intelligences with extremely advanced technologies, have? What would be the reason for them to focus on planet Earth and on animal life in which there is the beaming up, because people have described seeing animals rise in beams of light, another technology we don't have, 
or animals lowered in beams of light to pastures, and when they are lowered, they are bloodlessly mutilated. This has occurred in at least two people that I have interviewed. And therefore, this light technology is tied directly to the transport of the animals out of the pasture and back into the pasture. And if there is that kind of technology, why would they have to keep doing this animal after animal? And then in the parallel track are the human abductions, which seem to be focused on the harvest of sperm and egg more than anything else from the humans, but the humans are returned to live their lives out on Earth. And in one of my discussions during that decade of the 80s with a man who had worked and retired from an intelligence agency and who agreed to talk with me completely on background off the record... He said, Linda, we're dealing with a harvest of genetic material from this planet. It is as if there is a key ingredient in the DNA from Earth that has great value to what we would call something other than human. Now, as we are talking in December of 2011, I would add this. If we are dealing with one or more non-human intelligences that have been interacting with this planet for more than one quarter of a billion years, as I was told by another government agent, then there might be a genetic evolutionary relationship between that intelligence and all of life on this planet. And I am leading to what I read in a a government document in 1983 while I was uh, trying to produce a, an hour for home box office. And our title for that TV show was going to be UFOs, the ET factor. And a long story uh, that I won't go into now, but I was in an office in a meeting that had been set up by an attorney because I was working on the HBO project. And I was shown a document that had a title page briefing paper for the President of the United States of America, that those formal words were typed there, all caps, on the subject of unidentified aerial craft, AECs. And when you opened to the next page, it began with a historical summary going back to the uh, 40s and coming up through about 8, 10 pages about what our government had been retrieving from crashes of extraterrestrial, the word was used, uh, technologies and extraterrestrial biological entities found both alive and dead, and that it go went into great detail, including this sentence. These extraterrestrial biological entities manipulated DNA in already evolving primates to create Homo sapiens. All questions and mysteries about the evolution of Homo sapiens on this planet have been answered, and this project is closed. I read those two sentences over and over again as if my mind went into a kind of mind freeze while I tried to absorb the implications, and the implications are that all of Homo sapiens 
has been the result of extraterrestrial manipulation of DNA on this planet. Now, you take, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that that's true, and let's go to animal mutilations and human abductions as physical phenomena with a tremendous amount of forensic evidence, and that they are true. How could they all relate? How would these three lines braid together so that we might understand what the motive could be. And there is a friend of mine named Jim Sparks who began being uh, focused upon by, we'll call it the non-human phenomena, as a human abductee uh, in the southeastern part of the United States back to the 1986 period. And it came upon him very suddenly, very, very consciously, and it left him with perhaps one of the more practical insights into what we are dealing with. And it was multi-layered, as most complex subjects are, but it boils down to this. We are dealing with uh, more than one type of intelligence that uses planet Earth the way we would go to a supermarket. <laughs> and that genetic material and metals gold and platinum and molybdenum and some of the more exotic ones, and plants and water are all harvested. And when I did my film, A Strange Harvest, that title at the time uh, in 1979 to 80 was the closest I could come then for a title to a year's work of trying to find out more about the uh, animal mutilation. And myself concluding it had to relate to some kind of a genetic harvest on my own as a TV producer. And then 10 years later, I'm introduced to even more information that not only is it a DNA harvest, but that so much of the planet, something else out there has access to. And why would there be a focus on the Earth? It would come, the, the braid would be, the link would be, because this is a planet of great biodiversity that other life forms in this universe have been using for a very long time, and therefore there is something about whatever the experimentation was on Earth long ago, and even Crick and Watson and Orgel, Crick and Watson won the Nobel Prize back in the 50s, for discovering the double helix uh, spiral nature of DNA. Mm -hmm. And later on, uh, it was uh, Crick worked with Orgel. Uh, a, he's a biochemist. at the. He was at the University of San Diego, University of California, San Diego. A brilliant paper that was published in Icarus. Icarus is an astronomy journal, very respected. And uh, this was in uh, the 70s, and they proposed that in all of their work with genetic DNA material, that it made no sense Ooh, I'm to them. I'm sorry, I've been so okay. fascinated. We have to wrap this, for another break here. This is all right. Paranormal this this, this and, leads, you know, yeah, this leads to a very important thing. Right. CBS News Sky Radio will be right back. Stay with us. Take CBS Radio to Sky with you wherever you go. Be sure to download the Radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace. And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. 
Get in deep with exclusive articles and Sky News. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected. CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. And we are having a very fascinating conversation with Lynn Moulton Howe, a great award-winning journalist and very, very connected in the field of high strangeness as she puts it we're having a very wonderful conversation and fascinating and albeit kind of creepy conversation uh, rather chill uh, yeah, uh, mind-wrenching yes about animal mutilations and all sorts of fun things like that so linda back to <laughs> well, you 
I think that nothing is creepy about knowing the truth because I really do think the truth sets us free, that old adage. Yeah. We are living on a planet that has tremendous manipulation of the human family away from knowing the truth that we are not alone in this universe, we have never been alone in this universe, and that it is so important, I think, frankly, for the whole planet uh, to finally be given all of the facts. And what I was talking about before the break was being uh, exposed to this alleged document for a president of the United States about extraterrestrial biological entities, the history of the government's relationship with trying to do their own investigations and coming to the conclusion that Homo sapien was created by extraterrestrials by manipulating DNA and already evolving primates. And where I had just left off was that our double helix DNA is especially, uh, I think, especially valuable. And that what Crick with Leslie Orgel, the biochemist, when they produced the paper for Icarus, they proposed that panspermia had to be the answer to the double spiral DNA on this planet. Panspermia is sort of like Latin, planting of sperm from the outside, only in this case we're talking about the seed, the seed of life. And that they argued in this Icarus journal paper, which I have included also in my works at earthfiles.com, my news website, and in my books, I've discussed this, that because we're on a planet that is 8,000 miles in diameter, 25,000 miles circumference, with continents, with oceans, uh, islands, mountains, tremendous variations in geography, no matter how far you go back, even when there was Gondwana land, allegedly when all of the continents were all together before they all split up, you still had a Earth that had oceans and it had all of this land mass that split up. And they said for there to be only one double helix spiral DNA in every single life form on this huge planet, it had to have been seeded by some other intelligence from the outside. That is the entire premise of the Panspermia paper by Nobel Prize-winning Crick and Leslie Orgel back at the, in the 70s. Now, when you take that as a piece and you go to a cosmos that we now know we are in a universe that is aged to 13.7 billion light years, the age covering something like 50 billion light years, the, the span of the universe that keeps growing is bigger than the age, the age is 13.7 billion light years, and you say we are in a solar system in which our sun and these planets is 4.5 billion years old. So that's one-third, approximately, of the age of this universe. That means that in the third and the second third, there could have been whole solar systems. Life evolved, could have died out in four to five or nine billion years, 
and we would be in one of the younger portions of the universe. So the idea that there hasn't been other life that's much more advanced than we are is absurd when you start comparing it to the age of this universe, something that Michio Kaku goes into in great detail and profoundness about we're in a we're in a zero category, and he uh, posits that there are uh, categories one, two, three, and four where oh, there could. Linda, I'm going to interrupt. I'm sorry, but we have a caller. Uh, yeah. We we always make a point to take uh, take the caller when they when they call. So uh, please uh, go ahead, so, studio. Put her through. We'll. Uh, you're on. Hello. Uh, you're you're on with Linda Moulton Howe. Hello. Uh, hello. Yeah. Hello. It, it, who, who oh, hello. Again? Yes. Uh, this is behind the paranormal on CBS Radio. You're on with <laughs> Linda Moulton Howe. Yes, uh, I was just listening to. Is this Paulino? Yes, it is. Uh, this, this is Deerlon, our, our novelist friend, right? It is indeed, Paul. It's a pleasure. Oh, to very speak good. With you and, again. and you know Linda from uh, yeah. certain discussions we've been having. Yes, so I go ahead. If you have, if you have a question, uh, please go ahead and answer and uh, okay. ask uh, ask Linda. Well, before I have to say what I have to say, I'd just like to say I was just listening to Linda, and I cannot agree with her any more than 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 is possible. I agree with everything she just said. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Uh, a lot. you know, the universe is so old, and we're only one third as as uh, as old as the universe. It is right. it is absurd to believe that there have been great, I know. you know worlds full of life before that have been far more advanced than we have, and perhaps are still around. <laughs> yeah. And so, where I was headed, I'm not sure if you have a question. I was headed toward. Uh, how time and timelines could play in all of this. So uh, do you want me to answer a question and then continue? Well, actually, Linda, I was going to call in and, and just mention uh, or, or just mention the fact, uh, I don't know whether you or Paul have heard, that there has been uh, a further proof of the, uh, the Mayan prophecy of 2012. Uh, it hasn't been, made, hasn't been made generally public yet. Uh, the, my, the Mexican government evidently has been sitting on it for a couple of years, uh, they've found uh, a small uh, Mayan city, uh, Comalcalco, uh, and, and in the city uh, was a brick pyramid. And uh, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, Paul. It was not stone. It was brick. I, I apologize for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Well, you didn't build it. <laughs> no, I did not. It's quite true. <laughs> but in, 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 uh, along the, uh, the base of, of the pyramid, uh, there, there was a Mayan inscription in Mayan hieroglyphics with, one of the bricks was turned around inward, and it was most unusual because it, you could tell it was unworn as the others were. So the, about two or three years ago, the archaeologists in charge of excavations down there pried the brick out, turned it around, and it was covered with uh, a, a limestone uh, plaster. And they, they carefully chipped the limestone plaster off, and they found further proof of the, uh, well, further mention of the, uh, the 2012 uh, uh, possible apocalypse that the Mayans were talking about. It was even more specific, in fact. Um, it, was, uh, it mentioned the god uh, Bolan Yakto, who's a, a very mysterious god in, in the uh, Mayan mythology. He's, he's responsible for war and destruction on the one hand, but also birth and creation on the other. He does both. And, uh, and they were saying that in this year he's going to rain down from the heavens uh, near the end of well, their year, of course. That translates to our year of 2012. And... Uh, it's it's just something the Mexican government has been holding. They claim not uh, not in secret. They just didn't want to give any more credence to 2012. They feel that 
they've given it enough um, publicity in the past, but uh, it, it is strange that they would not have mentioned this before. But they've been sitting well, this, on it now for at least two years. This ties into this whole issue of cycles and of time and what could be the bigger picture for genetic harvests by advanced intelligences. And part of the answer, I think, that is definitely worth considering is this. The universe is old enough for there to have been advanced civilizations that can move point to point in space-time. And if you can time travel and you reach a point in their present, which would be a vast future from us, where, and this is one of the issues that has come up more than once in the human abduction syndrome in my experience as an investigative reporter. There are people in the abduction syndrome who say that they have been shown holographic images of DNA to explain that there is a point in what we would call our future. Jim Penniston that you raised, Paul, uh, yeah. Talks about fifty thousand years in the future. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I have to raise another break. <laughs> uh, oh, so, oh, you're about to make the touchdown. But at any point, what we are, you listen. I'll come I, back right to that. Very good. And uh, yeah, dear line, and uh, please hold on as well, and we'll continue our, our, our three-way conversation. But you're listening to Behind the Paranormal on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We will be right back after this break with our guest Linda Moulton Howe and our caller, the novelist Dearline, author of Heaven's Wave. Novel of 2012. We'll be right back. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron-Reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron-Reed Show. The Colette Baron-Reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron-Reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. Powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. NewSkyRadio.com. Hello and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And we have our unexpected guest caller, Dierlon. On with Linda Moulton Howe having a discussion about 2012. Yeah, we only have a few more minutes, but go to it, kids. Okay. Uh, where I just left off before the break was that Jim Penniston himself, out of the R.A.F. Bentwater's mystery of December 1980, says that when he touched the triangle glass uh, craft in the forest and got this download of binary numbers in his head, 
he also got the impression that they were time travelers from a distant future, at least 50,000, 40 to 50,000 years from now in timeline, and that they were desperate, trying to survive, and that one of the impressions that he got in his mind, Peniston did, is that they were coming back to the 20th and the 21st centuries in order to get genetic material to use as band-aids trying to keep that civilization alive far into the distant future and that they were coming back into the 20th and the 21st centuries, perhaps because this would be the last time in the history of this planet when genetic material was worth harvesting, trying to save a far distant lineage that had a link back to Earth's uh, double helix DNA. Now, this fascinates me because it goes right back to a long discussion I had in 1982, that would be only two years after the RAF Bentwaters event, with a scientist who owned a laboratory on the East Coast. It's a very long, complex abduction. After the abduction was over, I got to talk with him. He's now a friend. He's never, ever once been public. He did not want to jeopardize his scientific career, his lab income, and so forth. But he was shown on a craft, a holographic projection. They showed him uh, turning three-dimensionally a double helix DNA. And the communication telepathically to his scientific mind was that the non-human intelligences that may be linked to us genetically and far in the distant future, that they were showing him that they themselves were shocked to have learned that DNA itself has a bell-shaped curve of the ability to replicate. If you have a bell-shaped curve, on anything that we depend upon to replicate life. That is the most disturbing news that there could be because it means at some point DNA ceases to function. It ceases to replicate. If DNA ceases to function and replicate, that is the end. No matter what, that would be the end. And that they showed this scientist this is what they were trying to cope with and how were they trying to cope with it? by manipulating timelines on this earth in order to avert, avert, go by, sidestep a destructive path that would be the final end of all life from earth in some distant future when DNA ceases to replicate. And therefore you have two completely independent stories that sort of dovetail into the same conclusion. And give you well, a third one. Now, where? how could this tie into 2012? I have interviewed uh, a number of people in the abduction syndrome who have always said to me over the last 20 years, 2012 is not the end of anything on Earth but it is the point at which there are there is a measurement that is being made by those advanced enough to travel in time trying to change timelines. 2012 is a marker. 2012 will show to the time travelers whether or not they have been successful in trying to change 
Earth's timeline enough to avert catastrophe in the far distant future. I personally take hope in all of this. The animal mutilations, the human abductions, the crop circles we haven't talked much about, and the idea that 2012 could be coming up as a marker point. And will we, the human family, be given the truth by those that are trying to harvest genetic material as band-aids to keep a far distant future going while something else is trying desperately to change the future timeline of this planet. If and I in all of that, yeah. If, if I could interject, Linda, I, I, I agree with that also because uh, I, I have spoken to many Mayans, and uh, the, the Mayan prophecy actually is not that the world will end in 2012. That is not what they say at all. If you talk to them, they, they say quite clearly right. uh, what it is is it's the end of the world as we know it. There will be something completely new starting then. And, and if uh, the timeline does change, whether we know it or not, mm-hmm. how glorious is that, that intelligences far in the distant future with abilities to travel universes point to point would try to change this timeline in a way that would give us, in a sense, rejuvenation, resurrection without us even knowing. But, but they also the say it's going to be a very difficult period to go through. Very, very difficult. And many people may not be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that ties in to the Joshua, uh, for those of you who have looked at Earth Files, and I did a 12-part Real X-Files series in 2011 that I think is one of the most important I've ever done in the human abduction syndrome. He is a, a detective who works in insurance fraud in the Northwest, extremely grounded, very intelligent, and his interactions with non-human intelligences have left him with the ability to draw timeline manipulation by advanced technologies, the same thing. And for those of you who would like to get into this deeper, I can't recommend more. It is uh, the X-Files at Earth files.com where I go into this 12-part series with the detective from the Northwest who calls himself Joshua Reinhold, R-H-E-I-N-H-O-L-D. And at Earth Files, if you type in search, even just the name Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, you'll come up with all of the 12 parts that include some of the more provocative and refined illustrations that I've ever seen in my professional life about how advanced intelligences might be able to be trying very carefully to change timelines without destroying life. And I think that this is what we are, this is what all this boils down to, changing timelines without destroying life. Well, Linda, I, I don't know what to say at this point, but I wanted to give you a chance, actually both of you, now that we have you, to, to talk a little bit about your books. Linda, you mentioned your excellent website. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> uh, ben and I certainly consulted frequently. But uh, talk about your books and where people can get them, too. Well, thank you. They're always available at earthfiles.com in the Earthfiles shop, and I have done four books, An Alien Harvest, then the two-volume huge books, uh, Glimpses Volume One, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume One, 
and that was the first one was facts and uh, eyewitnesses, and the second is subtitled High Strangeness. The two volumes go together, and they form about a 900-page book if you divide it in half. And to me, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 1 and 2, uh, in some ways go as as far as I've ever gone in trying to report what I think is truly happening in military and intelligence, the human abduction syndrome, crop circles, animal mutilations, and where it all leads. And then uh, in 2002, I have a second edition, Mysterious Lights and Crop Circles, that is my own effort to understand what kind of intelligence would be working in the skin of the earth, so to speak, in the cereal crops in summer, growth and harvest, that would leave patterns that scientists ranging from Gerald Hawkins to uh Horace Drew in Australia uh, to Mike Reed in the United States, all very bright astronomy mathematical minds who are convinced that in crop formations, if we could ever understand it, are embedded the languages of astronomy and math as if to say, again, life is not guaranteed on this planet, and there are intelligences that are trying to study perhaps the crop formations themselves could be markers in how effective manipulation of timelines to preserve life on this planet are. Amazing and sobering. Linda, I think we're going to have to do another 300 shows okay. just to finish our conversation. <laughs> and we thank you for being a guest on our 300th show. Dearlon, just, uh, just, we got a second, just a word about your book too? Heaven's Wave? Uh, yes, Paul, thank you. Uh, my book is uh, is Heaven's Wave by D'Erlon, uh, capital D-E, capital E-A-R-L-O-N, and it uh, it covers the the Mayan uh, prophecy of 2012, and uh, it, it quite clearly shows that the world, and, and the Mayans did not say that the world is going to end. It, uh, it, it shows what the Mayan view of time was, and it isn't our view of time. It's it's a constantly re- recurring circle. And, right. Uh, and, and physicists exactly. today are beginning to come around to the Mayan point of view. So if, if you're interested in that, it is a fictional book because there have been so many books written about 2012 and, and so many of them are, are sleepers, but, but this is, uh, this is a, a, a fictional book that, that covers a story of someone trying to uncover the mystery and all of the scientific facts they don't are true. It's, um, okay. It's Excellent. I'm, I'm afraid we're Amazon. done. We're just flat out of time. But thank you both very much. We'll be talking to you off the air. Yes, thank you. God bless and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> okay. So uh, anyway, thanks to our thanks to our producer Will Kosnick, and we have no more time for any announcements. We'll just leave you with a quote. After looking at numerous mysteries this evening, we'll leave you with an old proverb, which will be especially appreciated by parents. Quote: One of life's mysteries is how the boy who wasn't good enough to marry your daughter could be the father of the smartest grandchild in the world. Unquote. Thanks for joining us on a great cosmic journey. We will see you next time.